the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Southern California Live on KKLA and KPRZ in uh, San Diego. I'm Bob Lapine. Welcome in on a Monday afternoon. I don't know if you have tried uh, checking your Facebook or your Instagram today, but about 9 o'clock this morning, uh, L.A. time, Facebook went down, went dark, couldn't get on, couldn't connect to the servers. And it's been that way throughout the day. In fact, there were reports that Facebook employees were trying to get back into the headquarters to work on things, and their ID badges were not working. And, of course, last night was the whistleblower interview on 60 Minutes. A lot going on with Facebook and Instagram. I'm just wondering if if God said, okay, <laughs> we need a break from Facebook. I don't know. We'll talk about that uh, more later today. We're glad you're in on a Monday And uh, I want to read something to you as we kick things off here and see if this resonates with you. Public opinion has turned against Christians. As a minority group in an increasingly secularized nation, we are finding out how it feels to be outsiders. And we don't like it. We're not used to it, and it's easy to become bewildered, angry, defensive, or defeated. So the question is, what does it look like to live as a Christian in a society that does not like what Christians believe, what we say, or how we live? How do you live in this new normal? Enter the book of Daniel. Have you thought about this? The book of Daniel is about people who were used to living in a majority cult where, where they were part of the majority until the Babylonians captured them and carted them off to Babylon, and they now lived as outcasts in a different culture. And it's a pretty good parallel for where we find ourselves in post-Christian America today. And we, we have a chance this afternoon to talk more about this with uh, someone all of you know, someone many of you listen to weekday mornings at 8 a.m. on KKLA, also heard on KPRZ, Alistair Begg, pastor from uh, suburban Cleveland, Ohio, the voice on Truth For Life Radio, uh, is joining us on Southern California Live. And Alistair, always nice to have a chance to visit with you. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Bob. I, I always enjoy talking to you, too. So this is a happy thing. We we uh, ran into one another a couple of weeks ago when we were in Nashville for the Sing Conference and enjoyed a few minutes of catching up there. And I have to tell you, last Friday I sat down with a group of about 15 guys from our church and we began going through Chapter 1 of Brave by Faith, which we're going to work our way through over the next several weeks because I think what you've written in this book is, well, it's for such a time as this. It's It's critical 
for for where we're living today. And and I know you your your pattern at Parkside is to teach through the Bible and and teach the hard parts, teach whatever parts come your way. But I think you had to have uh, Daniel in your periscope or in your sights when you when you looked at where we are in in 21st century America and said, "There's a word for us in this, right?" Well, yeah, you know, but the fascinating thing is, Bob, that this uh, this actually predates uh, the peculiar chaos of, uh, you know, the last 18 months where, um, you know, all of, a, all of a sudden, you know, the times are changing and uh, they've changed radically. And so stuff that I was thinking about without the um, prevailing circumstances of the moment um, yeah, well, of course, we both, I think, agree that the Word of God is timely that uh, because of the issues that it addresses. But I think in a, in a very happy way, it, uh, it intersects with many of the questions that I'm finding people are posing and uh, in search for, you know, a, a way to navigate uh, through these uh, stormy waters. Okay. You just, you made me a happy man. I won the, the little office pool we had going on here to see how long would it take before Alistair referenced a uh, song lyric from the 60s. <laughs> and with the times they are changing, I win because I said it would be within the first three minutes and everybody went, no, he'll, he'll wait before he gets to. And, and other yeah. people said it would be Simon and Garfunkel and not Dylan. So I, I'm the winner. Yeah. Thank you for making that work. Well, for me. I'm, you know what? <laughs> um, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm always glad to serve you, but uh, yeah, you know, hey, come senators, congressmen, please heed the call. You know, don't stand in the doorway, don't block up the hall. I mean, I mean, the, the, the people are looking uh, across the horizon at these things and are justifiably saying, you know, uh, is there anybody to whom we can actually look in this context? And and that must have been uh, a very similar experience to many of those people in living in alien territory. Yeah. 20 years ago in America, we were asking the question, are we becoming a post-Christian culture? Um, we're, we're undeniably there, aren't we? Yes, I think so. I mean, when I came uh, in, what, 80, 83 to, to this church, uh, you know, the evangelical Christianity was still sort of riding high on the back of uh, Jerry Falwell and the moral majority and uh, and and everything that was going along with that, who would have ever thought that uh, the collapse would be as as significant as it's been, and also as quickly as it has happened? But I don't think there's any question. I mean, it, it's moved from the realm of well, we'll tolerate uh, some of your crazy ideas, to the position now where we will not pay up, pay attention to what you have to say. In fact, we will penalize you for trying to say it. And that is a that is a vast shift. And and are we just following what happened twenty or twenty five years earlier in in Britain and in Europe? Well, you know, it's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, we don't want to we don't want to lay the charge entirely with the French, but uh, <laughs> I don't see why not. Really, I mean, many of those many of those uh, postmodern ideas, you know, uh, first of all emerged as they often do you know, in the sort of rarefied halls of uh, of the intellect. Uh, but that soon passes down into a culture and is seen at very, um, very basic uh, levels. And, and yeah, I think, you know, people go to Britain and to, to Western Europe and they come back and they say to me, 
you know, what happened over there that, uh, you know, most of those places are deserted. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're museums. And I don't mean to be unkind, but I often say to them, if you just hang on a little bit, you're about to find out. Mm -hmm. Because um, the the halls are, are emptying, even as I speak. I mean, liberal denominations in America, the standard Protestant one being the United Church of Christ, which has done its best over the last hundred years to get rid of every difficult part of the Bible, anything that might be regarded as uh, challenging to a contemporary culture. It just put its building, its main headquarters up for sale in the last week here in Cleveland. And uh, in that context, uh, there's an, an amazing illustration of what happens when you lose touch with the, the gospel, with the good news, and with the story that is at the very center of it all. Is there a, you think, you think there's a winnowing going on in the evangelical church in America today? Well, there's certainly a, there's certainly a division going on. And uh, yes, probably a winnowing. Um, you know, when the, because when the, you know, when, the, when the, the warfare gets a little more intense, then we find out who's, who's really in it right. and who has just been along for the, for the circus, as it were. But uh, there's that. And then there's also uh, the pressure of uh, seeming to um, be uh, prepared to ad- admit what the culture is telling us. We need to admit that we have been along with other people, bad people, wrong people, that what we did when we took the good news into the heartlands of Africa was nothing other than colonialism. And and now we've grown up and we've ditched that idea. And the pressure is on, is significantly on, I think, particularly younger men who are trying to look around them and see, you know, where are the Daniels? Where are the Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednego of the 21st century? Where are the where are the young fellows with their heads on square that are prepared to stand against the tide? And and I think that, you know, Brave by Faith is not a call to try and be like Daniel, but it's actually a call to learn to trust God mm-hmm. the way Daniel and his friends trusted God. And that, of course, is something that we can do. The book Brave by Faith is Alistair Begg's new book. It, it takes us through the first seven chapters of Daniel, and there are lessons for us from Daniel's Babylonian captivity. The the chief one there, which is have your confidence, your reliance in in God, who whatever is going on in the culture around you, whatever is changing, he is not changing, and that's where we can plant our feet squarely. And I hope listeners will get a copy of the book. This is such a helpful, such an important book we're talking with Alistair Begg about it. If, if that's the major theme from the first half of Daniel, from all of Daniel, the idea that we can we can find our confidence in God even when we are outcasts and aliens, what are some of the practical implications that come out of Daniel's experience in Babylon that you think fit into where we are in 21st century America? Well, I think one of the one of the lessons that it seemed to come across very strongly to me, and it's not something that's stated, but it's something that's observable, because one has to ask the question, how is it that these fellows uh, withstood these pressures? Because they were significant pressures. I mean, they changed their names. Um, 
they changed their um, education. Um, they changed the, 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 the entire cultural milieu in which they were now placed was so vastly different from what they had left behind. And I think one of the lessons for me is that they were clearly grounded in their convictions. You know, in the same way that Paul says to Timothy, when, when Paul is leaving Timothy behind, and he says to him, what you need to do is continue in what you've become convinced of. And these fellows were convinced. They were convinced that uh, God was who he said he was. And what happens is that they actually believe what they say they believe. Uh, it moves for them into uh, a realm that is clearly not theoretical at any point at all. But they have their fixed points. And when those fixed points are challenged, then they're prepared to say, you know, we can go this far, but we can't go any further than this. I've got a sneaking feeling that there's a great danger in contemporary evangelicalism that there still is such a lingering desire to be well thought of by mm. the culture that we're prepared to capitulate on all kinds of things when in actual fact we daren't do so for the well-being of our day and also for the well-being of those who, uh, who follow us. So unpack that a little bit for us, because we want to be winsome enough to be able to articulate the gospel and to not be off-putting to our our unsaved neighbors. How do we find that space between um, being winsome enough without capitulating and, and being too culturally accommodating? Well, you know, again, the example of these fellows is a good example, because let's let's not forget that they were highly prized, they were highly regarded, and they were highly regarded because of their character, because, if you like, they showed up for work when they said they would, uh, they, they put in their day, they, uh, they, 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 were, they were honest, they were truthful, they were useful, they were effective, they were standouts. And the, th- the reason that they were opposed was not because they were useless, it was because they were so good. And so, you know, Daniel rises to such a position of prominence, not because he's a rabble-rouser, not because he's taking on the culture, not because he's constantly pointing out everything that's wrong, but just because he does what he's been asked to do, and he does it in a way that is so undeniably quality that only those who hate him can oppose him. And that, of course, is exactly what they do. And the only way they can find a way to get at him is on the strength of his of his resolutions. They could never find him at prayer if he wasn't a regular if he wasn't regularly praying. Hmm. Uh, they wouldn't be able to accuse him of these things. They knew exactly. So I think there's a danger that at the moment people think that they're really taking a stand for the gospel when they get up on their political soapbox and bang on about whatever the moral issue of the day is. And there is a place, of course, for us holding the line on that, and so we must. But that wasn't what Daniel was doing. Daniel wasn't there to point out to the Babylonians how they had got everything wrong. He was there simply living out the principles with which he had grown up. And, you know, we have to take our hats off to whoever their parents were, you know, who paid attention to, you know, the, the, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, your Lord, the Lord is one, you know. And that, that clearly was grounded in him, and he lived out of those convictions. 
Yeah, talk about that for a second. How old? Do you have any idea how old Daniel was as we read these stories about him? Well, by the time we get to to the end, he was an old man. And if we, uh, it, 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 I, I think we can safely assume that they were at the very la- latest at the beginning of the story only, you know, probably touching twenty or their twenty first birthday, or maybe even a little younger than that in 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 their teens. And so the story of Daniel proceeds over a fair period of time. And so there's another lesson in that, that, that you know, it's one thing to be a flash in the pan for a moment or two, right. but it's another thing to live consistently trusting in God. Well, and, and I'm thinking if, if Daniel was late teens when he's uh, standing steadfast with Nebuchadnezzar and and coming up with creative alternatives to the diet that is being proposed that would violate the Hebrew diet and and uh, refusing to capitulate, something had to be going on in Daniel's home to to prepare him because cultural assimilation. The Babylonians were working overtime to try to sure. get these Jewish slaves to become Babylonians, right? Yep, that's exactly right. You know, it's a bit like they say you can take you can take the boy out of Scotland, but you can't take Scotland out of the boy. And and there's a sense in which that is what is proven true. But don't let's forget the reason we know about these fellows is because they must have been standouts even amongst others who were in a similar situation to themselves. And not all of them were, you know, marching in step with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the reason we know about them is because they were peculiar. You know, and, and you know, this is a reminder to us, isn't it, you know, that, uh, that, that God in every generation, you know, lays his hand on individuals, uh, young men, young women, and, and, and marks them out. And uh, that's what, you know, I'm praying for now, as I, mm-hmm. you know, as I stand on the threshold of my 70th year, uh, that that I before my hair all falls out or turns an unmistakably white color, that I might manage to pass on to the next generation the same sense of the awesomeness of God and the conviction that His Word is reliable, that the gospel is true, that it is powerful, that it is relevant, and so on. And so, you know, if you back it up to um, you know the the the, the exile. That's the story. We're living in the exile. We live in Babylon. No matter what you think about Washington, D.C. or London or Paris or whatever it is, we are aliens and strangers. We live in foreign territory. And the whole issue is is who is the king and who is it that we that we serve? And then we work things out from there. I'm not sure that, that uh, many of us have actually settled that issue. And so we're trapped somewhere between... Our, our political agitation, and if you like, our theological orientation. All of us, Alistair, and we're talking with Alistair Begg, we're talking about a book he's written called Brave by Faith. The subtitle is God-Sized Confidence in a Post-Christian World. And of course, you hear Alistair regularly here on KKLA and KPRZ on Truth for Life. All of us... Uh, want to have we want to be liked nobody doesn't want to be liked we we would like to have some social currency and to have people respect us um and yet 
our our Christian convictions are increasingly at odds rather than social currency. It's social deficit in, in our day. And I'm thinking of teenagers. I'm thinking of kids in middle school who are quickly be learning that to stand for Christ as a 15-year-old uh, could get you in trouble with the teacher, with the administration. Uh, certainly your friends are not going are, are gonna to be harder to find. I, I talked to a mom, Alistair, recently who's 14-year-old wanted to to put a rainbow flag on his face, her Facebook page. And the mom said, now, why do you want to do that? And she said, because I'm the only one in my class that hasn't done it yet. And so yeah. here was, here's the pressure at age 14. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you want to fit in here, this is how you live. Daniel somehow withstood that pressure in a creative way. How do we as moms and dads keep that from from happening with our kids well we're learning it i mean we're learning it now at least i am at the level of my grandchildren because the the, the pressures are are immense and i think you know uh, i have not uh, coming out of uh, coming out of great britain i have not been uh, you know a sort of um christian school homeschool kind of person because um, you know, what I enjoyed in the UK uh, growing up, I thought was duplicated over here. It's taken me a little while to realize that I missed that one completely. And so part of what we have to do now is ensure that our children are under the tutelage of people who share our worldview, mm -hmm. uh, people who are uh, prepared to withstand the, the sort of prevailing notions that um, uh, seek to reinterpret the, the issue of, of gender or whatever it might be. And, you know, it's, it's not that we have to take this on as, you know, as our crusade, uh, but it is, I think, important for us to be brave enough to say, you know, that uh, if you are born as a man, you will die as a man, no matter what you do to yourself along the journey of life. Now, of course, that is hate speech back in Scotland now. That is the kind of thing that, you know, can get you rounded up and uh, taken in for an inquiry. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. In Scotland, too, the Scottish government have just uh, passed some resolutions suggesting that children as young as kindergarten children can inform their teachers that they prefer to be called by different pronouns without ever informing their parents of their desire. And if, if you want to see the slide across the ocean coming this way, then I guarantee you it's coming like a tidal wave. It won't be long. That's right. Alistair Begg joining us this afternoon on Southern California Live on KKLA and KPRZ. Our lines are open if you have questions or you want to enter into the dialogue about how we live for Christ in a post-Christian world, the number is 888-528-KKLA, 888-528-2557. We're going to take a quick time out, continue our conversation with Alistair Begg about his new book, Brave by Faith, in just a minute. Stay with us. All right, we, we all heard that for the first time more than a half century ago, but as uh, we just heard from Alistair Begg, it's uh, still relevant for us today. Welcome back to KKLA Live. I'm Bob Lapine in this afternoon with our guest, 
Alistair Begg. Alistair is the voice you hear, the teacher on Truth For Life. Uh, He has written a book called Brave by Faith that we're talking about today. And let me just read a portion of this. Alistair says, how can we as Christians keep our courage and our hope in this culture? Is it even worth continuing to live as a Christian? Look to the God whom Daniel knew, and we will find out why and how to live as his people. We'll see that there's a better way than growing angry or keeping our heads down or retreating or giving up altogether. And I'm wondering, Alistair, if you find yourself throughout the day getting angry or keeping your head down or retreating. I mean, I know I do. I I hear things and see things and they they provoke me to anger or they cause me to want to just go home and shut the door and not talk to anybody. Yes, I think uh, I think it would be only uh, honest to say uh, yes, <laughs> uh, probably to all of the above. To our our emotions can can ebb and flow. My mind can, and um, you know, often when we realize the the onslaught of of the media that is is a prevailing wind in the face of uh, sort of biblical absolutes. Um, you know, the, the extent to which, fascinatingly, uh, we now have an apocalypse uh, for uh, the greater part of the end of the 20th century. Uh, you know, the secularists wanted to say, who are these crazy people who have got all this story about the world coming to an end uh, and trying to scare us and everything? Well, uh, we sort of toned that down only to find that it's picked up by the climate change people. <laughs> and uh, there's not a day in your life where you're not told about the impending doom. Uh, the Christian story is that it could happen any day. Uh, the, the climate story is that it is a really significant problem, and uh, probably in 220 years it will really start to lay, lay hold of you. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's quite amazing to me how the, how the tables have turned. And so, again, here in this issue, we've got this notion of, you know, is God contained in his creation? That's the, that's the view of contemporary man. It's pantheism. Uh, we've, we've forsaken deism, which is that, you know, if, if there was anything, you know, God wound it up and let it go, and he hasn't been dealing with it for a long time. Right. We've, we've given up on that idea. Secular man has given up on that idea by and large as well. But now the answer is you'll find God within yourself. I mean, people were laughing about Shirley MacLaine out on a limb, but she was actually a forerunner for all of this kind of stuff. At a very, at a very popular level, uh, the seeds were being sown. In the same way in the destruction of the family, two men and a baby, Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, the modern family. Uh, the, 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 so the, the whole strategy is, is brilliant. That is, let's get everybody laughing. And, and when we have them laughing, then we can soften them up, and then we can create a, a climate in which it becomes unthinkable that they would oppose what is the, you know, contemporary worldview. And uh, that, of course, is what uh, um, Daniel and his, and his friends were up against. Daniel, Daniel had it made in the shade. I mean, he was, uh, he, Nebuchadnezzar was, uh, you know, he was a grade-A narcissist. You know, he was. If if he'd been, if he'd had access to, uh, I did it my way. 
Scully, he'd be playing it all the time on his back patio, <laughs> looking out on his gardens, you know, and just blasting it out. To think I did all that, may I say, not in a shy way. And yet he's reduced to nothing. And Darius is reduced to trembling. And who do they send for? Well, they don't send for the soothsayers. They do, they, well, they do send for the soothsayers, but the soothsayers say nothing, yeah. not even sooth. And, uh, and so <laughs> the, the word is, well, there's a young Hebrew fellow here. Uh, maybe you ought to give him a shot at it. And, of course, uh, there you have it. The word of the prophet speaks out. To, to what extent, to, to what extent, Alistair, should we as followers of Christ be working to uh, stem the the cultural tide of immorality and darkness and try to beat back rampant secularism? Or to what extent should we be focused on evangelism and discipleship as the normal activities of the church? How do we how do we figure out how all of that fits into our lives? Well, it's a super, super question, isn't it? Because um, it, it was the same. It was the same issue that was raging over the question of slavery when Wilberforce was in the British Parliament, and there were people then who said to him, "You know, leave this issue alone for all kinds of reasons, and and stick uh, simply with the the proclamation of the gospel." And Wilberforce said, "No, this is a two-handed fight. It is a two-handed fight." And I think we have reached the point where we have to acknowledge that what we're up against now is a two-handed fight. Um, It means that we are not only being called to say uh, what the gospel has to say in a positive way. In other words, we're not only simply to say, uh, this, this this is right. We have to be prepared to also say, and this is wrong. And so... Uh, the loss of all these babies, these dreadful uh, loss of children in, in the mother's womb is flat out wrong, no matter the protests uh, from 30 cities around the nation, because those people are protesting out of a worldview, which is, if you like, a Babylonian worldview. Mm-hmm. They are serving their own idols. And one of the biggest idols is, of course, myself, that I am. It's the autonomous self. I am in charge of my own destiny. I'm in charge of my own body. No one has a right to tell me anything at all. Well, uh, the Christian worldview says, well, someone does, and that is a, a God, a sovereign God, who made you for himself, made you in order that you might enjoy the wonder of uh, the world in which he has set you. And even though you rebel against him, he is such a loving God that he comes and pursues you. So I think we've got to do the two things. We've got to send the people into the school boards, and we've got to be get right behind them in our prayers to put up a royal fight on behalf of moral values for the well-being of our children. We've got to be prepared to acknowledge that many of the, many of the legitimate concerns that were represented in the black movement with Martin Luther King, where he was really clear, uh, that this is about the character of the person, irrespective of the color. That has been completely hijacked by a kind of cultural Marxist perspective, which naive people walking around with their mouths open and their heads somewhere else are missing that point entirely. Now, not all of us are going to be able to challenge it in the same way. Some of it is going to be in a school. Some of it is going to be in a business. Where are the Christian capitalists? 
that are prepared to stand out against this stuff. Yep. Where, where are these guys? They've got to be there. I, 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 have they lost all their courage? And someone says, well, it's easy for you to say you're in some tiny little hamlet in Cleveland. Who cares about that? Well, you'd be surprised because the influence that we're able to bring to bear is an influence if we're prepared to stand. And I think some people, I think some of us as pastors are eventually going to go to jail, and hopefully it will be good ones that go and not clowns. And some of the, 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 the people who are in the biochemical world are going to have to be prepared to lose their credentials. And some who are in the high levels of corporate America are going to have to be prepared to take the hit and lose their stock options because they said, no, we refuse to do this. And some people are actually not going to be elected to political office because they were actually prepared to say, this is actually what I believe. It's a it's an exciting time to be alive. What an adventure. Well, and, and you, you say that, and, and I think that's a great response here at the end, because most people hear you say that and say, what a fearful time to be alive. And, and uh, can't we just get back to the old days where it was much easier? No, I know. I, I get it. I saw the T-shirt. It says, Lord, if you're not coming back soon, on the back it says, please send Ronald Reagan. I get that. I mean, I, 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 I'm a huge Reagan fan. Where, where, you know, where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Where, where, where have you gone, Ronald Reagan? Where are you, Maggie Thatcher, when we need you? So as, as Christians, should our voice and our tone in the current culture uh, be prophetic and, and uh, forceful, or should it be kind and compassionate? Well, it should be prophetically compassionate, <laughs> compassionately forceful. I mean, the, the, the idea of it's a, if it's an either-or, the fact that people are, 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 are very poor— at, at holding the line without just shouting at people, is, is, is those people are not to have a voice. We need we need people who can actually dance, if you like. And I don't mean by that that they can take speak out of two sides of their mouths or dance on one side and dance on the other. But in the same way, like Muhammad Ali, you know, he danced. I mean, they were coming at him big time. He knew when to when to hit them with that left jab. He knew when to throw a punch, but he also knew that you don't just go in there and fight like a crazy person because it's not going to work. And I think that's where we need in, in uh, conservative Christian talk. We just don't need the strident tone of people drumming on about the same thing, speaking to themselves. We need people who can, you know, cross the divide the way you know, Reagan crossed the divide with Tip O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who can actually uh, be, uh, can disagree with people without being horribly disagreeable. But the way the whole thing is set up, it's, uh, you know, people, people are not looking for your opinion. They're, 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 just, they're just reinforcing their, their view. And so it's a real challenge because the idea of dialogue has virtually disintegrated, particularly in the last 18 months. And the whole idea of canceling anybody who's got a view different from your own is, of course, a phenomenal absurdity, and yet it seems to almost reign supreme. This is where Jesus' words that we are to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves, it applies, doesn't it? 
I think it definitely does, my brother. Yes. Alistair Begg's book I, I, is... I, I, I'm, keen to, I'm keen to try and dance in some of these arenas. You know, here we are, here we are on, uh, you know, live at L.A., uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm never invited on to uh, conservative talk. But, but conservative talk on Salem needs a Christian voice. I'm not offering myself for a job or looking for a job, <laughs> but they, need somebody, they just don't need somebody to, to drone on with a standard package. They need, they need a voice so that the political thing does not reign supreme, because the ultimate issue is not our politics, it is the gospel. And that needs to be sounded out in the midst of that, in that, in that arena. Yeah. And uh, so may God raise up a voice. Well, and, and it needs to be that unique voice because, honestly, and you know this, to, to get ratings in radio or in, on television today, anger is what gets them for you, not reasonableness. Yep. That's right. So how how we may God raise up somebody who can um, in in a forceful and yet compassionate way draw an audience and people can say I need to hear what this person has to say, and I know you're not looking for work but you've done that for us here in the last forty five minutes and we're grateful for the time with you. Uh, the book is called Brave by Faith by Pastor Alistair Begg who you can hear on Truth for Life uh, weekdays here on KKLA and on KPRZ. And I hope people will do as I'm doing and get this book and go through it with others. This is great for small group uh, content. And there's a there's a study guide for this on the Truth For Life website, too, that people can download, right? Yes. I, I'm the one who always gives that information at the end of the program, right? So there's a study guide. If you go to truthforlife.org, you'll find the study guide for Brave by Faith. And the book, by the way, is available at, at uh, truthforlife.org for $5. So... I hope everybody will get a copy. Alistair, thanks for taking time with us this afternoon. Bob, I enjoyed it very, very much, and uh, um, enjoy the rest of the day. Yeah, we're going to continue the conversation and talk about how we live brave by faith in this culture after we take this time out. Stay with us. So uh, it happened today uh, about uh, about 9 o'clock L.A. time. Uh, if you pressed your app for Facebook or for Instagram, it wasn't loading. You were getting the, the spinning wheel on your computer or on your phone. And you thought, is this, is this my connection? Is this my Wi-Fi? And then I, I asked my wife, we were sitting together and I said, uh, is Facebook working for you? And she tried and no, she was getting the same thing. And that's when we knew that Facebook was down. Facebook was down for nearly six hours today from nine o'clock until about three o'clock this afternoon, the worst outage for Facebook in the last two years. And I did have to wonder, <laughs> I, ha- I had to wonder if just for a moment, if, if God said, okay, enough already. I'm there, yeah, I'm tongue in cheek, right? But there's a little bit of a seriousness. If you look at the impact of social media, on our lives and on our culture and on everything that's going on. And what we've been talking about this hour with Alistair Begg, if you look at how social media is impacting the way we communicate with one another, the way we dialogue with one another, the way we interact, your likes or your friends, your 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 ideologies are being shaped by 
uh, algorithms that that are directing how you think through Facebook, through Instagram, Twitter. By the way, Twitter had its largest online. There were, there were more people on Twitter today than I think have ever been on before because when Facebook and Instagram were gone, people went to Twitter to see if they could find out what was going on. There was an article that came out uh, this was about two months ago on Vox.com, which is not where I I normally look for for Christian worldview thinking, but the article was titled, It's Hard to Be a Moral Person. Technology is Making It Harder. And I thought to myself, well, so maybe, maybe more of us are starting to get the picture that when your worldview is shaped by the ideas and opinions of your peers or the ideas and opinions of media elite, when, when your worldview is less shaped by what the scriptures teach, than by what the culture is advancing, we're headed in the wrong direction. It's not only hard to be a moral person, it's hard to be a, a, a person who is thinking clearly. It's hard to be a person who loves well when social media is bombarding us with all kinds of ways of thinking. I was, I was thinking as we talked earlier this hour with Alistair Begg and talked about his book, Brave by Faith, what would it have been like for Daniel? If, if Daniel and his friends had had social media and they'd had the pressure of social media to deal with. So I want to read a couple of passages to you as you think about your interaction with your neighbors, your coworkers, but particularly as you think about interaction, now that Facebook's back up, now that you're back to, to this kind of public um, interaction, this public pronouncement of what's going on. And, and I'm, look, I, I utilize social media. I'm on, I'm looking, I'm finding out what's going on with my friends. I'm grateful that I can stay connected to what's going on in other people's lives through this. But I'm also alert and aware that there are ideologies that are being, that are being advanced on social media that if I'm not, if my mind is not being renewed regularly by God's word, then I'm going to be conformed to the culture. That's what Romans 12. So let's start there. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, the washing of the word. You need to be brainwashed and you need to be brainwashed with God's word. That's where you start. And then 2 Timothy 2. This is a passage I have come back to over and over again in the last 18 months in pastoral ministry in interaction with people, you think about online. Timothy, Paul tells his protege, Timothy, the Lord's servant, that's you and me, all of us, we are the Lord's servants. The Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome. That's the Bible. The Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. 
If we're going to live in a post-Christian world, which we're living in, if we're going to be salt and light, if we're going to stand as as stars in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation, that's what Philippians 2 says is the case for us, then we're going to have to be people who are not quarrelsome, who are kind to everyone, who patiently endure evil and correct opponents with gentleness. And you say, well, we're not going to win anything that way. And I would say, here's what you're going to win. You're going to win the favor of God, who is going to say, this is how I'm calling you to live. Live as Jesus would live in this culture. Live with that mind, with that attitude. So just think about these things. Now that Facebook's back up and and, uh, Instagram's back up and you're back to tweeting, let no unwholesome word come out of your keyboard. (laughs) All right? We're going to continue to think about that and talk about that uh, as the day goes on. This is uh, Southern California Live. I'm Bob Lapine. We'll be back with more in a minute. Stay with us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 